0: Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Herbert Smith Freehills Asia Competition Law Podcast Series Unbundling Competition. My name is Adelaide Luke and I'm a partner in the Herbert Smith Freehills Competition and Antitrust Team. I'm based in Hong Kong and look after the Asia region. With me today is Patrick Clark. Hi Patrick, thank you very much for joining me.
1: Hi Adelaide, it's good to be here. For those who don't know me, I'm a Senior Associate in the Herbert Smith Freehills Competition, Regulation and Trade Team in Australia.
0: Great, thanks, Patrick. So this is the first instalment of our new series on digital markets and the competition law issues that arise in the sector. Throughout the series, we're going to cover some of the key topics, including pricing practices on platforms, data as a measure of market power, and competition law implication with things like data pooling and access to data. We hope you'll find the podcast interesting, and if you have any feedback on content or questions, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Right, let's dive straight in. Patrick, I mentioned digital platforms earlier, and these have certainly thrown up a lot of high profile antitrust issues lately. Before we get into the detail of some of those, Could you explain to us why digital platforms in particular are so interesting from a competition law perspective?
1: Yes, sure, Adelaide. To start with, let's think about a traditional business model, such as a coffee shop. The owner of the shop sells their coffee directly to the consumer. There is a market in which coffee is being bought and sold. The coffee shop is on one side and the customer is on the other. So competition lawyers would say that the coffee shop faces the market on a one-sided basis. A platform is completely different in the sense that it caters to more than one side of the transaction. The platform does not just focus on all its energy, on selling its online offering to customers. It also needs to attract suppliers to the platform. On the one hand, it offers services to suppliers who want to sell products. And on the other hand, it offers services to the consumers who want to buy products from those suppliers. Now, the reason why platforms has emerged as a really hot, hot topic in recent years, is because a wide range of internet and digital services and are now structured as platform services.
0: Yes, I mean a, a lot of the digital economy is structured on the basis of platforms. So we've got app stores as platforms. You know, they provide app users a range of apps to download, and they also provide app developers with a way to reach those users. And we have online marketplaces and ride-hailing apps. They provide services to two different groups of users. Social media platforms are interesting too, particularly if we think about how they leverage their user base on the one side of the platform to attract more advertisers on the other. The emergence of platforms in the digital sector has really changed the way that we as consumers spend our time and money and the way that markets are structured and lots of the aspects of traditional competition law analysis just doesn't sit very well when it's applied to digital platforms.
1: Yes, I'd really agree. One obvious difficulty is how to measure market power. In traditional industries, pricing is a very important factor in this analysis. Traditional analytical tools that competition lawyers and regulators apply to delineate or find a boundary between different markets are based on price. We ask If X raises the price of their products, will enough customers move to Y such that X's revenue falls overall? However, in digital markets, you often see the consumer side of the platform not paying any fees or paying very low fees. This means the traditional measures based on pricing or sales don't really work that well. And the boundaries of different products and services can become much more blurred.
0: Yes, it's certainly more complicated to apply when the online services are free and the platform transacts in two markets. In fact, the the UK regulator has suggested that in well-functioning markets, consumers should even be paid for providing their data or using an online service. Moving on, Patrick, can we talk a little bit about network effects? These are certainly a feature of digital platforms. What do we mean by network effects?
1: Sure, look, I think it's easiest if I give you an example. If you buy a mug from a traditional store, the store does not become more useful or more valuable to you because the more people buy the same mug, maybe even the opposite. But if you sign up to a social network or a social media platform, it does become more useful when more people sign up. Not many people just want to talk to themselves online. Where the usefulness or attractiveness of a service increases as the number of users increase, we would say that the service has direct network effects. This is much less common in traditional sectors than in the digital economy.
0: And what about indirect network effects?
1: Well, these occur when the value of a service increases when there are more users on the other side of the platform. So for example, an online marketplace becomes more attractive to customers when there are more sellers on the platform. And it becomes more attractive for sellers of products when there are more customers available on the platform. So regulators theorize that network effects can mean that once a platform hits a certain critical mass of users, its attractiveness becomes self-perpetuating. Regulators call this tipping into a single platform market. All other platforms lose their users and fail, and no new platform can possibly hope to match that that, uh, network's offering. If a platform had that position, it would have significant market power, And so could even leverage its user base to insulate itself from competition. While digital platforms and the practical competition questions they raise are relatively new, regulators are trying to apply established concepts to grapple grapple with these issues. One of the key questions is how do you build a viable new network that attracts advertisers when the incumbent already has millions of users on its platform and it gives them that service for free?
0: Thanks, Patrick. You mentioned that it can be difficult to apply traditional competition law concepts in the digital sector. And it's interesting to see some, sort of, some reactions from the regulators around the world. I know, for example, that the European Commission has been very active on this front. And last year, it unveiled a sweeping set of new legislation, including the Digital Markets Act and the Digital Services Act. These will introduce a new regulatory regime for digital platforms, particularly those that become large enough to be viewed as gatekeepers. The European Commission is also updating some of its regulations and associated guidelines, like, for example, the vertical agreements block exemption and guidelines, to reflect that platforms are increasingly prevalent and that linked to that, suppliers are more frequently engaging in things like dual distribution And by that, I mean selling products not only via distributors, but also directly to consumers, often via online marketplaces. Now, I hear a lot about developments in Australia. Uh, Can you walk us through some of the key ones there?
1: Well, in the past couple of years, the ACCC has been really active. They've conducted a number of inquiries into the digital sector, including the Digital Platform Services Inquiry and the Digital Advertising Services Inquiry. That's about ad tech. And the NCCC has made recommendations to the government in relation to a mandatory code of conduct for news media businesses and digital platforms. Some of those recommendations were actually incorporated into legislation passed earlier this year called the News Media Bargaining Code. The code establishes a framework designed to require designated digital platforms to bargain with and pay news media businesses to make the news media businesses content available on their online platforms. However, the code has not really been triggered to date following agreements being reached between the major digital platforms and a number of major Australian media outlets. It's important to note that in addition to being a competition law regulator, the ACCC is also a consumer protection authority. So it changes for campaigns often for issues that address concerns about consumer privacy online and the adequacy of disclosures about the use of consumers' data. The ACCC has highlighted data protection as being a really key priority for them as well. So the competition and consumer landscape in this sector is just changing really rapidly. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, the ACCC unveiled a proposal to fundamentally change Australia's merger control regime. Some of those proposals would involve sector specific rules, which have just never really been a feature of Australian merger control. The ACCC wants to be able to apply a different legal test to acquisitions by specified digital platforms. It would get to decide which platforms that would apply to based on whether they are a gateway. It's really interesting that the ACCC uses language that's very similar to the European Commission. And the test that they would apply would actually require a lower probability of competitive harm. So it would make it much easier for the ACCC to block the acquisition. All of this would need legislative change, though. The AC says it's just starting the discussion here. And what about in Asia?
0: Well, it's a bit of a patchwork across Asia, as most competition law developments are. Um, we also have some regulators in Asia that play a dual role in consumer protection and competition law enforcement, whereas others are focused solely on competition law. Some regulators are following in the footsteps of the EU and Australia, uh, introducing new legislation or rules to govern digital platforms. Japan, for example, has introduced new rules for designated digital platforms. Korea is also expected to introduce new legislation regulating digital platforms. And just last month, the National Assembly passed and approved legislation banning operators of app stores from forcing developers to use their online payment systems. And these two jurisdictions are also very active in enforcement in the digital sector, with both regulators investigating and fining major platform operators for competition law-related infringements. Others are taking the view that competition law works without needing new rules. Instead, they're publishing new guidelines on how competition law should be applied to the digital sector. The so mainland China, for example, has published new and amended guidelines in relation to several laws, so the price law or the anti-monopoly law. um, And those amendments touch on this issue. In fact, you'll no doubt have seen the sector-specific antitrust guidelines for the platform economies issued earlier this year. And that essentially runs through the the different facets of competition law and explains how they can and will be applied in relation to digital platforms. But I am not. I won't say too much about China because there have been so many developments there that it deserves its own podcast. And actually, our next episode is going to look at these in, in much more depth. It's my colleague Howard Chan will be discussing them with Francis Xu, who's our Shanghai-based partner at our joint operation, Koei Law Firm. I mean, across the board, I think it's safe to say that regulators in Asia have signaled a focus on the digital sector. And with so many jurisdictions looking closely at the issues around the world... I think we can expect greater cooperation among the regulators as they grapple with this reshaped business environment. But that's all we have time for today. Thank you everyone for tuning in and thank you Patrick for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Until next time.